Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you news in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember you can hear Tech Radio on air with RTE Friday evenings or anytime you like with your favourite podcasting app from Apple, Google or Spotify. We keep you up to date of course every day with all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters. You can grab them for free at techcentral.ie. My name is Dusty Rhodes. This is episode 856 and joining me as ever, our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Uh, Niall, I suppose the big story this week is um, is Facebook and Australia. And in some ways, people will think that this is blowing up uh, into a disaster. And I think it's a terrible success. I think you're kind of right. I think both perspectives have merit in them. I mean, we talked last week about um, media companies saying to Google and Facebook, hey, you guys are making money off us. Let's see some of that green heading towards our general direction, um, Mm -hmm. to which they said no. Uh, And now it's sort of, things have gotten a little bit salty in that uh, Facebook brought in the ban on uh, news content, but it's it's had a little bit of a negative spillover effect. So instead of turning into this sort of industry v industry battle, it now looks like, hey, you got kind of a nice country over here. Be a shame if nobody could you know, talk to each other. (laughs) That kind of a way. (laughs) So we've got kind of, Facebook have kind of just said, look, we're not going to be paying for news content. And I love the way they put it. They said, we're not going to pay for news content that we didn't ask for uh, Mm -hmm. and that people are posting up. That has nothing to do with us. Yeah. And I thought that 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 was a fair point. But once they brought in the block on news, it's not just news that they've stopped. Yeah, they, they've applied a very liberal definition of news. They didn't really define news particularly well when it came to deciding what to block. So as a result, you had a lot of um, satirical websites being blocked. So it's effectively, you know, we want to put in a news block. I know, let's take down the onion kind of a thing. Okay, great idea there. But they've actually gotten rid of a lot of services that would have connections with media, but actually aren't media organizations. So you're looking at things like the Met Office, that sort of thing, where, you know, of course, everybody needs to know the weather. But um, do you know what? They're an organization unto themselves. But, you know, Facebook went, okay, yeah, you don't you don't need to know that. So they also have a bunch of government agencies got uh, blocked out as well. You also had a lot of charities. So you had an awful lot of organizations that make the news actually being lumped in with news organizations and then being banned as a result. Uh, Of course, part of this is government uh, health uh, information campaigns. So you have the uh, Department of Health uh, or the various health departments in in Australia, the way that it's set up, um, having information about COVID-19 just not available on Facebook. This is not good. In the middle of a pandemic, that, that you would have a line to, you know, genuine information um, rubbed out. Uh, and God knows what sources of information still leaking through Facebook's filter uh, because it's paid for uh, being exposed to people. So it's, it's, it's a hilarious state of affairs. Of course, Facebook did their standard issue mea culpa um, and the uh, Australian Treasury Minister 
I got their, their equivalent of the Minister for Finance anyway, um, has spoken to Mark Zuckerberg and said that they had constructive talks, constructive, um, which doesn't mean that anything at all is going to change. But irony of ironies, Facebook's own community page got blocked by Facebook. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where it goes from the sublime into the ridiculous, isn't it? That's very uh, meta. I'm Facebook, actually, block Facebook. Yeah, you know what? In, in some ways, in this particular story, I am actually right behind Facebook and right behind Google on this, all right? Uh, and I think the fact that Facebook are just kind of going, all right, well, look, we're just going to block uh, all the news content. That's fine. They're under no obligation whatsoever to provide news or links or pages or any accounts to anybody. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I think... At- This comes down to a problem between old and new media that has existed since the year dot. And you remember MySpace. Yeah, I do. And you remember MySpace got bought over by News Corp uh, for however many millions. Well, I think it was $300 million. I'm I'm sure I'm incorrect in that, but it was a hefty Mm. wad of cash. And it was effectively a media company took over a new media company and didn't know how to run it. So at the time, MySpace had, was a mainstream concern. It wasn't investing in applications. It wasn't investing in developer talent. Uh, and then Facebook came along and just ate its lunch completely because it started totally as a tech project and invested heavily in tech, um, uh, tech talent. They did things completely the opposite direction. They threw all their money into product. Uh, And as a result, MySpace is where it is now and Facebook is where it is now. Um, But it just showed the the different approaches. And now we are returning Mm. to this kind of tension between old and new media where um, we're still in this process of of feeling each other out and going, okay, well, what's a fair distribution of uh, Mm. money that is raised by this stuff? And, you know... If Facebook is sending traffic to my website, how much traffic is is that actually worth? I mean, in Tech Central, our readership is primarily Irish, um, be, and that's great because that's who we market to. That's where our commercial base is, and that's where our advertisers want to be. That's where we want to be. Uh, but if we post something on Facebook and it gets loads and loads and loads of traffic, uh, your first instinct is brilliant. That's fantastic. That'll bump up our numbers. Our analytics will probably like that a lot. But then if we dig in and we find that, oh, all these readers are from the US or Canada or markets that aren't relevant to us, don't have any commercial benefit to us. Yet here the social networks can come back to us and go, hey, you did really well out of us with that story. To which you say, but there was no commercial benefit to that to that story being posted. Mm. And I think that's kind of where the tension tension lies. You know, it's there's actually a great episode of South Park about it, <laughs> uh, where the boys made a video that went viral, and they they went to YouTube to ask to be paid for it, seeing as it sent all this traffic to their website. Yeah, and they're like, "No, you you guys don't make any money off us. What mm. what, what are you thinking of?" Um, and of course, you know the the world changed, and people make livings off off. YouTube now and, and some of them quite quite successfully. Um, but yeah, the, the goalposts can be changed quite quite arbitrarily. Um, and yeah, it's it's old v new media. 
It's a very interesting story because you've got two uh, very bullish pa- parties because the Australian government can be quite, you know, uh, full on. Uh, and it's a very much a nanny state down there. So the government will tell you, oh, goodness. Um, and then you've got Facebook, who are just so big, they can do almost uh, anything that they want. So it's interesting to see how that uh, will And we'll just we'll apologise when they do something uh, wrong without having to fix yeah. anything. <laughs> yeah, sorry, we'll do better. Um also in the news this week, uh, the world's second most popular operating system is no longer. Well, I what mean, it was. it's still around. <laughs> I know it's, it's still no around. Yeah, the second trying, most popular it, operating it's, system. It's, 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 it's dramatic pause. For so many years, it's been Windows on top uh, and then we've had Mac OS and then we've had all the others. But now mm. Mac OS has slid to number three. Who is in second place? Yeah, uh, Chrome OS now has 10.8% of the operating system market. And Mac OS wow. has 75 This is global. So it makes you, uh, it points to one thing. And it is the polarization of the PC market between very low cost computers, uh, Chromebooks, basically, which are doing spectacularly well in the education space. Uh, and if you've got broadband, they're an excellent, uh, excellent solution to, for you if you want a, a cut price laptop or don't want to buy a tablet or whatever. And then at the premium end of the market, you have Apple, who aren't terribly interested in affordability, who have 7.5% of the market. So now we're finding that, you know what, affordability kind of trumping premium at the moment, whereas it used to be the opposite. I When I saw the figures, I was like, Windows only have 80% of the market. Were you a bit shocked by that? I was shocked in the sense I was kind of going, oh my God, it's that big. And it's one of those things I knew was that big, but when you say that it's 80% of, of computers on planet Earth run Windows, you kind of go, oh my goodness. Uh, and then you go, oh my goodness, again a second time when you realise that it used to be 85%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like everyone, everybody knows Windows is, is, is the king, but like, you know, with that level of dominance, it's unbelievable. Mm, yeah, yeah. And of course, you have the Linux people sort of in the background on 1.2% gone. You know what? We're, we're kind of safer than you guys. So, you know, have at it. True enough, true enough. The other big story uh, making tech news this week is Bitcoin. Have you been taking $50,000 out of your bank account and buying a, buying a little coin for yourself? Buying a coin? That's That's kind of the exchange rate at the moment, isn't it? That's it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just, it's had a phenomenal run. Uh, uh, yeah, last... but it could be worth a fiver tomorrow. Ah, now, I don't think it will. And this is what they were saying back in 2017, because I remember the, the, there was a big spike in around Christmas and I was mm. kind of, oh my God, that's nuts. There's no way. Uh, and now I'm seeing the spike again and I was kind of, oh, people never learn. All right. But the one thing that is praying in the back of my mind is that there is a lot more larger companies involved in it this time uh, and you're talking banks I think one of the big things they were talking about was uh, um, was it BMY Mellon uh, Bank of New York Mellon uh, have gotten behind it and they're a really conservative bank Wall Street and mm. they're investing in it and the other point that uh, I have seen being made is that there is now so much money behind it that it is going to be harder and harder to manipulate so you're not going to see the wild swings that we did see back in 2017. That's what they're saying. Hmm. 
I, I <laughs> think that's a very interesting point, but there is also the the thing that there are so many cryptocurrencies out there that Bitcoin is just one in a field. So no, 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 no. Bitcoin is ahead by a mile. All right, we were just talking about Windows having eighty percent of the market. Bitcoin probably has about eighty percent of the cryptocurrency market. It's like that far ahead of everybody else. Okay, right. So let's let's look to the the headline of the week in crypto. Then, okay. So if we have a value stabilizing at the moment, it's fifty thousand mm. dollars. It's not going to stay at fifty thousand um, dollars. We have competitors like Dogecoin which uh, Elon Musk talked about quite recently mm. and bought, he bought billions actually, didn't he? He bought. I can't, he, I can't remember. He did, he, no, he, he put billions of Tesla money into Bitcoin, but he also then kind of said, uh, just on his Twitter, like buy Doge. And the whole point of Dogecoin is kind of like, Dogecoin was set up as the opposite of Bitcoin. It was just something that people could literally put pennies in mm. and just have a laugh and just say, hey, look, it exists. We made that out of nothing. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah. Uh, but now so many people are, are getting in on the joke, as they did with GameStop, that it's actually kind of, of that kind of become a thing. Well, but it's only become a thing in that it's a bigger joke than joke. anyone expected. Here is the joke about Dogecoin, right? There is somebody out there in the world who owns 28% of all the Doge coins out there, mm-hmm. do we know who it is? They're referred to do as you a know whale. Who it is? It's they, you. It's me. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but basically, somebody probably on day one went around hoovering up this joke currency and sat on it, and now they own twenty eight percent of something, and the entire currency I think is worth two point eight billion at the moment. In the big mm. scheme of things, it's not worth an awful lot of money, but. Um, you know, it just goes to show that private investors out there can buy massive chunks of a currency and hold it themselves. And it's not even a currency. It's not even. It's it's still a practical joke. I, and, and think about the way we're talking about this. You know, people can hold massive amounts of this. Cri- people have been holding massive amounts of currency forever. How is this news? You know. <laughs> But it is. I, th- I think it's just because this is a new currency that came out of the last banking crisis in 2008. And now mm. all of a sudden it's it's a thing. It's a proper thing. A 2017 thing. was a bit of a blip. Uh, now it's a bit of a thing. And it's going to be really interesting because I'm, I'm following this just as a tech story. Mm-hmm. And in some ways I'm kind of thinking, I see the logic behind it because it is... Uh, it, 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 it's just good technology. All right. Um and I think that is the way that the world is going, but it's not kind of like, it hasn't got the rubber stamp of approval. But then again, part of its appeal is that it doesn't have the rubber stamp of approval. Exactly. You don't want governments yeah. tramping all over it at the same time. Hmm. Um, and then on the other hand, it's kind of like, well, it could then just end up like it's not going to happen and it could be a dismal failure. Or I think the most likely one is that there's going to be a peak now and they're all, everybody's going to go, what the hell is going on? No, sell, sell, get out of it. And there's going to be a big dip well, maybe 50%, uh, and then it will pick up again. And I reckon in another, whatever, 10 years, it's going to be worth serious money. Hmm. Very serious money. So uh, I, I, my only regret on this story is that I don't have $50,000. <laughs> <laughs> 
$50,000. Well, number one, I don't have $50,000. But secondly, I don't have $50,000 that I'm willing to lose because that's yeah. that's where you need to be, isn't it? Like, you know. Mm. Um, so that's Bitcoin making the news uh, this week. Also, ah, our friends uh, in uh, Allison, Mike Fierick. Good news for them. They are yeah. the online video learning uh, um, website based out of Galway. Yeah, based out of Galway. Yeah. Um, well, the European Economic and Social Committee, which uh, awards a, a series of civic solidarity prizes uh, each year, I think there's 23 prizes goes out and each one is worth 10,000 euro. Uh, well, Alison has picked up one of these civil solidarity prizes for a course that it put together called Coronavirus, What You Need to Know. Now, this course was put out online last February. It's a, there is a, certif- a certificate attached to it if you want to go for the examination. And um, this is how Alison makes its money. Basically, you can do the course for free. But if you want to search at the end of it, you have to pay for that. Uh, and this adheres to that as well. So this is a course that they put together, uh, an information course all about COVID-19 using data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the WHO. And uh, yeah, it was basically a primer. Here's COVID-19. Here's how it works. Here's uh, here's your, I guess, whistle, whistle-stop tour of the virus. And uh, it has thankfully been um, uh, recognised with a with an award, so there you go. Irish company doing well, uh, being recognised at European level, and a fantastic resource if you feel uh, like you don't know as much about yeah. COVID nineteen as you should. There you go. Alison.com is the website, and we did an interview with uh, Mike Fierk Tayland of last year's episode eight forty five. If you want to look it up on the uh, website. Uh, finally, now the biggest story of the entire week, the biggest story possibly of the month, even of the year, we can't talk about because we are recording the podcast on Thursday afternoon, and then something is going to happen tonight, which we hope will make headlines tomorrow Friday morning, and that <laughs> is uh, the landing of the Perseverance uh, rover on. Mars. Yeah, yeah. Well, something that uh, I read it being described as a nuclear powered SUV with a laser. <laughs> it's probably that's probably really true. Good. That is pretty much exactly what it is. Do do, do you know what? Do do you know what I I was talking about with my wife last night? Well, uh, sorry, I was talking and she was pretending to listen. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, what what kind of just occurred to me was airlines and trains and buses here on Earth never run on time. Whereas NASA is sending this uh, satellite up to land on Mars and it's going to land at X time and you can be darn sure it's going to land at exactly that time if it lands. Yeah, I suppose well, that's not I, what you want to hear from your airline, is it? It'll yeah, land at it, 8.20 if it lands. at this time. <laughs> anyway, we'll have more to talk about that uh, over the weekend. Uh, we'll see how it goes. The one thing I was going to say about Perseverance and what's different about it, I mean, they've learned lots of stuff from the, uh, from the last uh, Mars rover that went up there, but this time they've sent a helicopter. Yeah, there's it. a drone attached to it, isn't there? Exactly, exactly. So it will be interesting. They don't even know if it can fly. They don't know if the atmosphere or whatever way it's going, but they've sent one. So it'll be interesting to see uh, uh, how we get on with that. All right. Listen, that is the uh, news update for this week. Now, thanks as always for bringing us up to date. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Tech Central.
Virtual and augmented reality are finding plenty of uses beyond gaming, particularly in areas like manufacturing and construction. Mark Gillette is head of Mission Critical at PM Group, a specialist in project management with offices around the world. He's been using augmented reality in the building of what will be one of Europe's largest hyperscale data centres in Denmark. He had a chat during the week with Niall Kitson about how the technology is being used to save time and money. We, I suppose we've been at the forefront of what's known as uh, building information modeling for probably the last 15 to 20 years, I would say. And um, we're constantly looking at ways that we can use the all the information that we have in a building to kind of make better decisions and to, to visualize it better. Um, and so we've been, we've been looking at different types of virtual reality solutions. So We've been in touch with the guys from XYZ for the last number of years. A number of our team have, and um, you know, this is a new product that they've they've they're getting to the market, and we were really interested to try it. So um, we were just it it kind of coincided with us starting a new uh, large construction project with one of our one of our clients, and our client was very keen on the technology as well. So. Um, it was a great opportunity to use this augmented reality technology right from the very beginning of a project. So um, probably for the last year or so, we've been we've been engaged with XYZ um, to try and make this happen. So it's really exciting. I think what the way that AR has really found its feet in construction is that sort of the prototype overlay that you can sort of see, um, you know, effectively from your perspective, the, the foundations and be able to plonk what you see as your design uh, on top of that. Yeah. Um, at what stage in the uh, project were you able to do that? Were you able to go, okay, here is the actual dimensions of what we're going to be developing on. Let's let's start here. Or did it require that sort of foundation level, that sort of first floor level, if you will, that you could build uh, upwards from from there? Yeah, well, I suppose so. Design is a is a process, you know, that we go through on on every project. And um, in this case, we picked up a design um, from the the client's designer on the project. And then there was a a, a sort of a a kind of a bridging um, role for us to do to take that design and to 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 get it to a level that was, um, you know, suitable to go to our contractors with. Um, and then when we get it down to that level. Uh, of detail, then you you essentially take what's in the model and plug it into the technology that the XYZ guys have uh, developed. And then um, straight away, you can go out to the site. And like you say, the the, the, the physical asset is, is plonked on the site and you can see what it looks like, um, you know, before you've even started any, any construction. So it's very interesting in that regard that you can you can actually see the physical asset right there in front of you. It's a whole different level of visualization than just looking at a 3D model on a on a computer screen. You can actually put on the the hollow site headset and you can walk out to site and you can see what the building will look like in front of you. So, you know, it's it's a very uh, it's a different level of visualization than than what we've seen before, and um, you know, very very exciting and obviously. With that comes a lot of advantages that you can catch things uh, a lot sooner before they've actually been physically built on site. So there's an element of uh, there's a huge element of quality and safety in in using this technology. But I suppose the the point about it is um, 
the, the, the technology is only as good as the information that's going into it. So there is a, a huge role for, we see ourselves as a, as a sort of a digital integrator. We're taking all of the information that's out there and we're, we're packaging it together so that it's, it's ready to be plugged into this technology. Um, so it's very interesting from that point of view for us. So you mentioned there uh, working with contractors. Have you found any sort of issues with uh, communication or adoption at that end where perhaps people are very comfortable in their work practices already and perhaps feel that they've got a pretty good feel or pretty good intuition for how things are going to work out to be presented then with this sort of additional tier of technology or emerging technology? Have you found any difficulties in dealing with people that way or have people been very receptive to seeing this new sort of uh, this new presentation if you will i think everybody's been quite receptive to it it's um you know you can it, it's very powerful um to be able to see this um and it's it's very kind of the ad- advantages of it are very uh, clear to see you know so um the, the the level of detail that we get to in our projects um is 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 very detailed so it it kind of um you know it facilitates being able to use technology like this so the reaction that we've got to it um, over the last few days in particular has been very positive. And uh, we found that that's been the case on site with our contractors as well. Everybody's really excited about using this technology. So um, it is a quite conservative conservative industry, the construction industry. So it's it's great to see people embracing this uh, this sort of new technology. Uh, when, of course, your current project is is about data centres, which one imagines are, are quite uh, uniform constructions and not really um, reliant on. They don't they don't have to look pretty. Basically, they they just have to be functional. Um, do you see projects uh, like you know shopping centres, etc., where you know the the architecture might be a little bit more novel, might have different uh, sort of dimensions, different um, proportions? Uh, do you see further applications in that where you're dealing with a, a non-uniform shape. Yeah, well, I, I think um, our architects would probably argue with you on, on that front. But uh, no, I, I, I get the point you're making. Absolutely. I think the sky is the limit really with this technology. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's basically this, this technology can show you what's in your model. So uh, if, if you have kind of a, a very you know, uh, very aesthetically pleasing design that's, that's within your model and that can be visualized. So I think, um, you know, we're mainly focused on the industrial sectors. That, that's the area that PM group, um, has, has carved out a, a niche for itself. Um, but yeah, definitely I, I see this, the potential to use this technology across, um, all different types of construction, you know, and, um, while it's quite an embryonic technology at the moment, I think, you know, when people see the the when people see it and they and they kind of appreciate how how good it is to be able to see something in front of you um, at a very early stage, I suppose, before anything is ever constructed, I think you know that that adds a lot of value to to any construction project. So I think it, it is quite cross sectoral um, this technology. So I suppose, lastly, to one wonders what the timeline is on this. I mean, augmented reality, it kind of has had uh, an interesting, if turbulent, um, history to date because it's starting out with the likes of Google Glass and that additional information overlay just didn't work in the consumer space, but it has found its feet very much in the, in the business space uh, in manufacturing. Um, do you see, uh, you know, AR becoming 
just part of the regular toolkit and and how quickly do you see that happening um yeah it's a, it's a very interesting question i think um you know obviously it, because it is quite quite new um it's it's going to take a bit of time to to become the norm of of how we do things but i mean if you if you kind of look around our our world is moving towards that uh that that direction um and I, I, I really do think that um, there's, there's a role for, um, you know, this technology is, is only as good as the information that's going into it. And um, that's an important thing to note. And, um, you know, uh, w- whilst this does um, kind of, uh, it brings it brings the, the visualization of construction to a new level, there's still the role of uh, companies like designers and digital integrators, which is where PM Group is positioning itself to really manage the information that's going in to the uh, to the technology, so you know, managing all of the the information points. So whether that be vendors, equipment manufacturers, contractors, designers, managing all of those inputs that go in um, to the model that's ultimately exported into this um, new technology. That's the key thing here, and it's to make sure that that information is is managed and and um, kind of curated um, that's that's really important and then when you do that the results are kind of there for everybody to see you get a much more accurate visualization of what you're doing so um, it just makes it much more valuable and allows us to make better decisions uh, more efficient decisions and I think you know with like that that whole kind of that philosophy for this technology is is very important and that was Niall Kitson chatting with Mark Gillette, the head of Mission Critical at PM Group. And you can find out more about them. Just do a Google search for PM Group Global. That's our show for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or listen to us each week online on Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio and Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thank you so much for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.